Please stand with me as we read Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. You can trust that God himself has selected these words for you. This is what we all need to hear today. Galatians 4, verse 1. Paul says, by the Holy Spirit, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You may be seated. I want to give us a sense of this passage that that speaks about who Christians are in, in, in the language of time. Did you, did you hear the, the time language? Verse, verse 1 says, as long as. Uh, verse 2, until a date comes later. Uh, verse full, 4, when the fullness of time had come. And verse 7, you are no longer who you used to be. I, I want to help us to understand, I hope, what's going on in this passage by thinking about who I used to be. And I think that is well represented in my, um, in my attendance to my 10-year high school reunion. Um, I went there thinking it would be awesome. Uh, I had this beautiful wife uh, that I meant to show off. Um, I, I was really excited about the life that we were we were then living in, in Louisville, Kentucky. We were preparing, you know, for ministry. I was excited about seeing friends and and being encouraged by the night. And instead of all of this, um, what ended up happening that night was. I was confronted, like by people, not once, but by people, um, twice, Uh, people who had their own goals for what a fulfilling night was going to be, and it involved me, and they wanted to confront me about 
um, how I ruined their years in high school. And one of them even said, so I heard you found religion, which I did after, after those days, after high school. Some people look at high school as the glory days, not me. And, and my reunion reminded me of something I had forgotten, and that, and that was, I really was unkind. I really was very selfish in those days. And it reminded me that who I was then was all I was ever going to be. until Christ came into my life. I want you to know this. Without Christ, your life might be fun, but it will never be full. And the Galatians are confused. They're looking back to glory days, they think those days where they were trying to please God by keeping His law on their own, in their own strength. And and Paul has just, at the end of chapter 3, come to them and said, you you know, the law was good. It it was good. Don't don't think that it wasn't good. I'm not saying it was bad. It was good in this way. It taught you that you're not good. That's what God's commands. Teach to sinners. And the Son came right on time. That's the title of the sermon. The Son came into this world to a people who had been taught how not good they are, how unable they are to be accepted by God. The Son came right on time. And I just want to give you what is... The, the, the sermon in a sentence, and then I want to unpack it for you through the rest of the passage. And th- this is what the, the message is, is being preached to us today in these verses. And that is that the son did not just get slaves out. He let heirs in. That's what Galatians 4, 1 through 7 is saying. The son did not just get slaves out. He let heirs in. Let me unpack it for you in order, and that is to watch what Paul is saying about how the Son came right on time. In verses 1-3, through He came for children enslaved. He came for children enslaved. Paul brings us into the, the home You need to know what's going on in this home in verses 1 through 3. It's the home of a trust fund baby. All right? This is a really wealthy family that we are observing here. That that verse 3, we have to understand because he says in verse 3, we Christians were like the child in the family in verses 1 and 2. Who... The child there in verses 1 and 2 is the owner of everything. He is the heir. 
He is someone who will one day be rich, but not until the, he reaches this age that his father has set for him to now be ready for his inheritance. Until then, that child is no different than the slave, the one who's downstairs in the house, in the basement, who owns nothing. When the son came, he came for children who were enslaved. Just to remind you that this language has been earlier in the book of Galatians. If you look back in Galatians chapter 2, you'll see this idea of slavery that Paul wants to remind us was part of our past. He, he, he talks about it in terms in, in, in chapter 2, verse 3, of the requirement to be circumcised, the requirement to be accepted by God according to obeying something that God has commanded. In verse 4, Paul says you should resist that idea because it will bring you into slavery if you try to please God according to your obedience. Chapter 4 and verse 3 um, in our passage, it says specifically, Christians used to be enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What, what he's saying is the whole world is in a kind of slavery. It's elementary. There's a principle and a power that's at work in this world such that everyone in the world falls into this kind of Slavery. We're going to see next week, Lord willing, in verses 8 through 10, him talk more about this enslavement. And again, it has to do with keeping certain kinds of commands and standards for holiness. If you try to base your acceptance before God, this is what everyone does, based upon how good you are, you're a slave. It does us well, believer. It does us well. To think about who we would be if the Son of God never came. And what he's reminding us is this. The best we could be. The best we could do is try to please God and then fail to please God. And then be sold into slavery. The idea there is because we owe him something and did not give him something, we're going to have to work off our debt and we will never work it off. That's the best we could be if the sun never came. And this morning, if you're, if you're a Christian... This, verses 1 through 3, is your past. And if you are not a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, this, in verses 1 through 3, is your present. And if God gives you the ability to feel that, then you will know what I mean. When I say the sun came right on time. For children enslaved. 
That's who he came for. Next, we see what he came to do. Verses 4 and 5, the son came right on time to redeem sons. Verses 4 and 5 are plain enough, but they are rich. Uh, And I want you to know what he's actually saying in these verses. And there are echoes from Eden that you you need to hear if you're going to understand what he's saying. Look back in verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I wonder if you heard the echoes from Eden. Maybe we need to hear just one verse from Eden, and that was Genesis 3, 15. Listen to this in light of what we just read. God says to Adam and Eve, or in the hearing of Adam and Eve, after they sinned against God, he said, I will make the serpent, the devil, an enemy of you, woman. The serpent will be your enemy, woman. And I will bring about a battle between your son, the devil, and the woman's son. And the woman's son is going to bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent would bruise his heel. He will be hurt, this son of the woman, but a bruised head is death if you're a snake. That's what's underneath the words of verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son born of woman. You see, Adam, we're told in Luke chapter 3, was God's Son. Adam was God's Son. Humanity was made to be children of God. But whenever Adam sinned against God, he became a slave to sin. Serving sin. And we became slaves in Adam. He's our father. Christian, you were a slave spiritually. You could only sin. You could not come to God. When he says, when the fullness of time had come, and and he's pointing back to the beginning of time, what he's saying to us is, this is what history is. History. All of time is this, God's people just waiting for the the date set by God the Father. When is the Son going to come? Because we're, we're waiting, according to Genesis 3, for Him. He's the only one who has the power to make us sons again. The Son... Paul says, came right on time. And did you notice he's telling us why the son came? Verse 5, did you see the 
two purpose clauses for why God sent His Son, uh, I want to tell you that the ultimate purpose that God sent His Son was so that His Son would adopt sons. That's that second purpose in verse 5. But, but it's the first purpose that causes that adoption. You see that? In verse 5, what causes the adoption, or you could put it this way, the cost that had to be paid for the adoption is this first purpose. God sent forth His Son to redeem those who were under the law. I'm desperate for you to understand this, and I, I, I am not very skilled or gifted to help you understand this, but I'm going to try. I want to give you an illustration to help you understand all that he's saying in these verses. Here it is. We have known for months that there was this little boy in India who was promised to the Barnett. We've known that for a really long time. And him legally being promised to the Barnetts did not make him appear in Graham. I've not gone through this process, but I've heard enough people who have gone through this process to say that it took quite a bit. I think there's a fancy term for it, and that's rigmarole. You've got to go through a lot of rigmarole to adopt a child from a foreign country. You've got to apply. You've got to meet certain standards. You've got to do a home study. You've got to save a lot of money. And after you do all that, after the Barnetts did all that, that did not give Arjun a family. Someone had to go get that little boy and bring him home. Late in time, behold him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. Born of woman. Born under the law so that he would be qualified to redeem those who are under the law. He couldn't just come. He couldn't just come and redeem us right after he came. No, he had to grow up. Under the law, be under the law from the very moment of him coming into this world. He had to have opportunities to either obey God in his law and therefore remain free. He had to have opportunities and years of them to disobey God. And then owe God his own life. Because the slaves he's come to get owe God their lives. And therefore, the price that has to be paid to set slaves free is the death of a man who is free, who was under the law, but obeyed it perfectly. This language of redeem in verse 5, is so rich and it is so foreign. I mean, 
You may have heard the word. You may, especially here, say it a lot, hear it a lot. But I, I, I want to try to bridge the gap between our society and theirs by, by painting you another picture. I want you to imagine a rich prince, a righteous prince who is searching for a soulmate. And he goes to a women's prison to find it. That may help. Uh, but, but, but let me give you a different one. God, God, we are told, came to adopt children by redeeming them, which means God went shopping for children in a slave store. I mean, if there's a song playing in the background, it's looking for love in all the wrong places. And that is what's going on in the background. Our church is called Redeemer for this reason. Because we never want to forget what Jesus has done for us. It is hard to believe. It would be impossible to believe if God didn't say it was so. And he says it was so that the son came right on time because the slaves were going to be sold. These slaves were going to be owned. And God wanted them. And so the son comes and he lays down a payment on the table to buy slaves into his family. And the payment he put down was his own blood. Jesus came and poured out, after a life full of obedience, of remaining free from the law, he poured out his fullness of life in death on a cross. He laid down the payment, and there was someone taking the payment. The one who has rights over these slaves, the one who has rights over them, the one who has to be paid, the one who has to be satisfied, is the one they owed their debt to. When the son laid down his life in blood, he was paying God himself. And beloved, the text says God is the one who sent forth His Son to do it. God is the one who says, there is a certain payment I will take for all their debt. So that God says, when Jesus bled for redemption to buy, to purchase slaves, it, here's a big word, propitiated God. That means it satisfied all of His eternal anger for all of their sins that they committed against Him. Beloved, I'm just here to tell you that the Son came right on time to get you out of slavery. That means if you know Jesus Christ, all of your debt for real sin has been paid. 
If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not devoted to him. But you can you can believe me. And at this point, you're convinced you are guilty before God. You have not been perfect as you must be perfect. If you right now understand that that means you are enslaved. That you are powerless to get yourself out of this jam. That you are penniless. You don't have the money to buy your own freedom out. Then hear me. God sent a redeemer. God did. And if you turn to him in faith, he will buy you. You will be free. Know what we've been saying throughout this whole book, which is this. Only faith in Christ can possibly make you right with God. But faith in Christ will make you right with God. Church. When this son sets you free. Then. Freedom is not all you get. I don't think I can adequately get through to us. Whom the Son sets free gets more than freedom. It says here that he doesn't just turn the slaves loose. He doesn't just send them out there to fend for themselves. Paul is pleading with us that we might put all our hearts in Christ because of all Christ has done for us. The most brazen slave, the dreamer slave sitting there in the market that day who hated slavery, who hated all of his masters, who wanted to be out of this. The the most brazen slave could only dare to dream of freedom. But verse 5 tells us that when the son gave himself, the slave became a son. The slave became not just free to go, but The family of God. The son came right on time. To get slaves out. And that's not all he did. That's not all he did. The son came right on time. Four enslaved children. Two redeemed sons. And then to make heirs. Verses 6 and 7. He could have done the redeeming and the adopting without doing the inheriting thing. To know why is Jesus so much better than every other way to live out there. You got to know this Latin term which is primogenitor. Primogenitor. It means the law of the firstborn. You may be familiar with the the term just from the movies when 
when, when the queen, when her worth was measured solely by whether she produced an heir to the king, a son. The law of the firstborn. It was there. It's what tempted Jacob in the Bible. Don't you remember? Jacob was the secondborn. And that's why he... He made that Halloween costume and dressed up like that grizzly bear and walked up on his blind father to trick him into giving what the firstborn deserved, Esau, giving that to Jacob. You see, in the ancient world, I'm just telling you what was true. The ancient world, daughters did not matter. And just being a son didn't matter either, unless the older son, the oldest son, died. That's the law of the firstborn. And so in verse 1, when we read the the singular, the heir, we need to first understand that in that world, it was only the oldest son who inherited anything. He was the owner of everything. The heir of God, the heir of God, is the son who is mentioned in verse 4. It's Jesus. So, it was plenty for him just to do verse 5 and make us children of God. But the passage didn't end there. Verses 6 and 7 says that Jesus gave to us His inheritance. He gave to us not gold, not land, not some position in his family business. He gave God himself to us. You see that in verse 6? Because you are sons, after you were, had the title of sons, then God had sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The son didn't just give slave, get slaves out of slavery. He then did more. He let heirs into his deal, into his inheritance. That's what the slaves end up becoming. It said in verse 4, God sent his son to the cross. Then it says in verse 6, then God sent to his sons, his new sons and daughters, the spirit of his son. It's only the son's spirit. Only the son deserves the spirit. But God then sends that spirit into our hearts. I've learned a new term this week. I've been watching a whole lot of snowboarding. This is called the full send. Maybe this row gets it. Fellow back there gets it. Full send. 
He sent his son to the cross. He sent his spirit into our hearts because the spirit is who Jesus had. Therefore, that's who we have. Galatians will continue to teach us this point. That God's law is good. It tells you who God is. The whole Old Testament will tell you that. If you were to try to live your life by it, you would, you would have some sense of who God is. You would, you would be rescued from living for yourself because the law would tell you don't do that. You should live to love other people. And for the majority of history, the law was the best way to live. But not after the Son of God came. Not then. Beloved, your heart and my heart will lie to us a lot about who God is. Even as we take this passage and we think about slavery and that's who we were, we know slaves get bought by cruel men. Very few slaves had a fair master. No slaves had an affectionate. No slaves had the affection of their masters. Why does God send the Spirit inside of our hearts? Because of affection. You see that right there in the text, what the Spirit does? He's put in our hearts so that He can, while He's there, put a cry in our hearts. This is what the Spirit of God wants to do for you. is to put a cry in your heart. I am no longer a slave. I am not who I used to be. I am not just waiting for God's judgment. I am not defined by all of my failures. The Spirit would have you cry out, I am no longer a slave, and I am more than a son. I am not like the the, the children in the ancient times who the parents did not really care about, who they had no affection for. The Spirit comes inside of us because of what Christ has done to make us convinced and to make our testimony I am an heir of God. I am an heir of God. I am an heir of God. Not because I impressed Him. Not because I obeyed Him. Not because I'm handsome. Not because I'm a good little boy. I am an heir of God because the heir of God came right on time. 
Our failures, and we have a lot of them because we are failures. At least when we match up what God has told us to do. They will make us forget this. And so God put His Spirit inside of His people to remind us. I am your Father. You have a Father. Beloved, would that make a difference in your life? For you to carry around this conviction, no matter where I am, no matter what I've done, not because of me, but because of God's Son, I have a Father. Yes, you were guilty. Yes, you were a slave. Yes, you deserved God's judgment, but the son came right on time for enslaved children to redeem sons and to make heirs. So whenever you are sad because of your sin, whenever you are sad because of other people's sin, whenever you are going through anything in this world, the spirit of God has been given to the children of God to remind us we have a father. And the affection He has for Jesus, He has for us. Because that's what the Son would give to us. Everything that only He deserved. The Son didn't just get slaves out. Beloved, He let heirs in. Father in heaven, we pray That your spirit would do what he you want him to do. And he would take this truth that we've heard and then convince our hearts that. That you are not cruel, that we are not abandoned, that we're never alone, even in, in sorrow and in suffering. We have the affection of a father because of the blood of your son. God, make us a a church who believes that and who helps one another believe that by the power of the spirit, we pray. Amen.